Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virtual Most Powerful Radio. Two man card, Ruben Nava, Jesse Romero. Good morning. How you doing, Jesse? Hey, I am 10-8 Ruben, and I'm reporting for duty. Awesome. Hey, hey, let me just mention something uh, before we go, go into the, today's topics. A couple of things that I want to mention is that uh, we have, we're now in the month of October. Uh, so uh, remember, the month of October is the month which the Catholic Church dedicates to the Holy Rosary. Uh, this is a devotion that Our Lady gave uh, and asked us to pray every day. She gave it to St. Dominic, Saint Dominic de Guzman. She gave it to Blessed Alan de Roche, St. Bernadette of Subaru and Lourdes, uh, to Blessed Jacinta, Blessed Francesco, Sor Lucia and Fatima, St. Louis de Montfort. The Rosary is a Marian devotion which several popes throughout the centuries have endorsed and encouraged the Catholic faithful to pray as, uh, as our filial trust for God and Our Lady. So remember, this is the month of October, the month of the Most Holy Rosary. And the enemies of the church are even calling it a terrorist weapon, the Atlantic Journal. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, well they, they know the power of the rosary. Hey, Ruben, also something kind of funny. Uh, on, on the funny department, yesterday, not today, yesterday was uh, the one-year anniversary of those young kids in a stadium saying, let's go, Brandon. So yesterday was the one-year anniversary of when uh, the president was given a new name. So that, that the anniversary was yesterday. Well, yesterday, well, what happened yesterday, uh, I found out uh, a colleague of mine has uh, reached out to me and said, hey, Ruben, remember uh, remember you had uh, the sheriff, uh, Alex Villanueva, on your, on your program. And uh, remember they made him take down his, uh, his, his advertisement because he, he did it inside uh, St. Wow, Alfonso's Church in East LA. Do you remember that, Jesse? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, from social media, we didn't take it down. But uh, this weekend, there was a priest at uh, Dolores Mission in uh, in East LA that, uh, or Boyle Heights, that uh, during his sermon, he was telling people to vote yes on Proposition A, which would give the Board of Supervisors the uh, right to vote to throw the sheriff out, to, to basically take away his powers. And so they can't have it both ways. Maybe we'll, there, there was a, a little clip on the news, so maybe we'll talk about that on Thursday. But uh, Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, get some get, get some uh, good intel on that. We'll do a show on Thursday. Who yeah, knows if you want to, if you want to bring them back on. If you want to bring them back on, just bring them back on. Yeah. If, if you can't talk politics, they made them take it down because of politics. Well, now here's this priest talking politics. So that's it's kind of hypocritical. <laughs> Hey, today's the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. Pray for us. Uh, nice. Yeah, St. Francis of Assisi. What a, a, there was, what do we know about him? Well, again, today's his Memorial Day. There was widespread confusion and scandals amongst the clergy and a decline in attendance. It threatened the church of Francis's day, St. Francis. He was the son of a rich cloth merchant. Francis converted to a life of prayer in his early 20s. In a dream, God told him, go and repair my church, which, as you can see, is in ruins. St. Francis began rebuilding the crumbling structure of San Damiano, 
But his work, his great work of renewal, was a new form of life he embraced in 1208. His radical poverty and passionate preaching drew 5,000 men to the friars' minors in the next 12 years. Francis died in 1226 in Assisi and was canonized just two years later. St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. And he was a stigmatist as well. Yeah. And uh, the friars, the story is that when they were around his bed when he died, and they saw, the friars said they saw his soul leave his body and, and it was embraced by Jesus Christ. Uh, all the friars in the room saw it. His soul left his body. Jesus was right over the bed. They embraced, Jesus embraced him. And according to some of the friars, St. Francis was so purified that the, the friars said it was hard to distinguish between him and Jesus. That's how holy St. Francis was because all he wanted to do was imitate Christ. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Hey, let's jump right into it, Ruben. There's a rapper here who's uh, fighting back. He's on our side. Uh, he's a singer, and he's striking back at those that are mocking the faith. He's a Toronto-born singer, songwriter, Jermaine Lawrence. He's 40 years old, and his stage name is Maine Champagne. He's an R&B artist, and he uttered these words as he sat down with, youths, with, with Youth Speak News to discuss the inspiration behind his recent song, Vanity, and the impact that he hopes to make with, with the tune socially and culturally. He grew up at, as, with a very religious mother. Champagne sang in the local uh, choir of his Christian church. His lifelong passion for music stemmed from his bonding experience with his mother when he was young. Experiencing a difficult childhood, largely without his father, Champagne told the CBS in an interview back in January 2020 that he began hanging out with bad company, drinking, drug dealing, and eventually taking part in robberies. Ultimately, he completed three different prison sentences for robbery and weapon possession, adding up to eight years between 1999 and 2013. He developed his musical craft while incarcerated and devoted himself to it fully upon exiting imprisonment, observing the routine mockery of Christianity and secular entertainment, particularly the media targeted towards younger demographics. This sparked his passion for, for speaking up in defense of the faith through his musical compositions and after witnessing Grammy-winning uh, rapper Kendrick Lamar at the Glastonbury Festival in England, wearing a crown of thorns and chant, they judge you, they judge Christ, God's speed for women's rights. Champagne wow. said he felt the need to respond in a song. Ruben, pick it up. Wow. Uh, Vanity is, uh, is a pro-life song that questions and ultimately rejects Lamar's assumption that Jesus would be an advocate for abortion. After reading the Hip Hop DX pop article that provided a positive spin about how Lamar stands up for women's rights, Champagne was compelled to respond. I never thought that the issue of abortion until he mentioned it. Lawrence added that while he agrees with pro-lifers, he wrote the song more out of a spiritual conviction. So he says, I, I sympathize with women's rights, but this is a bigger issue. This is an issue of life and death. Champagne notes that Lamar's insinuation of Jesus being pro-abortion speaks to a bigger problem for the Christian faith and, and community being mocked and bullied at the expense of the mainstream society's agenda. So in Vanity, this is the song, Champagne speaks out against this mockery. I don't expect everyone in the world to see it eye to eye in what I or billions of Christians around the world believe believe in, but at, but at the same time, we should speak up if our faith is being mocked or pressured to follow ideologies that are contrary to the ways of Jesus and his teachings, he said. And Champagne wants to articulate that this does not mean a spreading hate. 
I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying. Not condoning someone's behavior and hating someone are two different things. And he admits that it's easy to turn a blind eye to, to this. It's it's most convenient and, and the easiest thing to do. However, he urges people to hold organizations and people accountable via social media for the mockery of the bullying of the Christian faith. He hopes his song inspires Christian youth in particular to say enough is enough. You will not make a, a mockery of our religion for the sake of entertainment. So this, the artist adds that speaking up for the truth in popular culture is not limited to musicians and encourages his audience to use the, the unique talents given to each of them by God. So whatever gift you have, if you believe in something, don't let anybody else tarnish it. And so vanity can be found on YouTube. Ruben, the, uh, the pro-life entertainers and actors, I mean, these guys are few and far between. I mean, this is... And if they are pro-life, they just keep their mouth shut. But I'm looking at an article here. Seven celebrities who you probably didn't know are pro-life. The first one is Kanye West. He's pro-life. I figured he was. He's at a conversion. He was Kanye West was a Satanist. I, I looked up a website of um, <clears throat> actors that had given their life to Satan. He gave his life to Satan like 10 years ago. He made a ton of money. He regretted it and uh, came back to his Protestant Christian roots and open his life and surrender his life to Jesus Christ. So Kanye West has renounced Satanism and he's now a follower of Christ in uh, in the Protestant denominations. But uh, he's pro-life. Also, Patricia Heaton, she was, uh, she, was, she was known for her starring role in the CBS sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. She's also a chairman of Feminists for Life. She's, uh, Patricia Heaton is, is Catholic and pro-life. Mm. Also, another gentleman by the name of Oh, Andrea Bocelli, he's pro-life. Uh, uh, Bocelli yeah. is, I think, what is he, a singer, Ruben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that opera singer, famous okay. opera singer. Okay, and he's a, it says he's he's a devout Catholic, Andrea Bocelli. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, and he's pro openly pro-life. Uh, Celine Dion is a star Most. singer, and she was also, it says here, she was also her parents' 14th child. Her mother was extremely overwhelmed that she was going to be having another child, and initially wanted to abort Celine. However, talking to a priest, Celine's mother was convinced that she needed to keep his child. Celine says about this, he told her that she had no right to go against nature. She identified that in a way she owes her life to that priest and wants to do more to make people aware that abortion is a real thing that harms and kills people in our society. Uh, yeah. Al Gibson, no surprise. He's pro-life, <laughs> no surprise. Yeah. Major American filmmaker and an actor who starred in many popular movies. Also, this is surprising, Ruben, Justin Bieber. Pop star Justin Bieber has mentioned at several points in his career the fact that he's pro-life in an issue of Rolling Stone magazine. And the last one is country music star Kenny Chesney. Don't know who that is. Uh, he's known to be pro-life because of his powerful song. He, uh, he's written pro-life music. Uh, don't know who he is, but apparently he's pretty. Yeah, he's a big. He's a big country singer. So okay, but I could see Justin Bieber. He he had a conversion to Christianity. Um, started following his faith. But uh, Celine Dion has kind of went off the rails, even though she did she. Like, oh. Yeah, she has some some dark things that she's pushing been involved with. That yeah. surprised me. The yeah, devil it's... doesn't uh, go to sleep, Ruben. Hey, no. we're gonna talk about sports after. Yes, right down your alley, right down my alley. All right, let's do it. Um, yeah, Jess. Uh, we'll be right back. Now. Back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero Rubinava. Hey, let's talk about sports from a Catholic perspective. The primitive instinct to play in a world that incentivizes sin at virtually every turn, the, the, I can hear you, Ruben. I can hear you. The realm of sport. Just, I'm, I'm feedback. You're getting feedback? Yeah. Okay, I'll let Richard know. Uh, <clears throat> but just text Richard, let him know. So when it comes to sports, there's uh, the realm of sports can offer a man, among a number of other benefits, a temporary reprieve from concupiscence. So it should go without saying that the properly formed Christian will hold sports in high regard. Sadly, however, in modern Catholic circles, it's fashionable to write them off. Abuses in athletics are legion, but remember that abuse, that, that, that is abuse or that is misuse does not remove proper use. In general, people can play sports either recreationally or competitively, although each approach has a different end. Both approaches to sports involve the moral life. While recreational sports are aimed at the soul's rest, competitive sports help train virtue. These two necessary ends are often neglected in the hectic and hedonistic third millennium that we live in. Patriotic Christians often rightly condemn Marxism, which denies human individuality. However, some of these Christians are slow to, to critique liberal capitalism, which views financial profit as its only end. And so in a society that blends both ideologies, consequently transforming man into a soulless and robotic creature, the institution of sports has suffered greatly. Aristotle was the first to note that eutropalia, or the virtue of right recreation, is a necessary element in life, affirming that reality. St. Thomas taught that play is necessary for the intercourse of human life, he added. There can be a virtue about games, St. Thomas says, but these actions, according to the angelic doctor, are only virtuous when directed according to the rule of reason. Playful actions themselves, considered in their species, are not directed to an end. St. Thomas Aquinas says, but the pleasure derived from such actions is directed to the recreation and the rest of the soul. And accordingly, if this be done with moderation, it is lawful to make use to make use of fun. <clears throat> in other words, play is crucial for man, whether he's slothful or overworked. Specific virtues are capable of curing specific vices, and so play or leisure is paramount for the weary man. Weariness, due to exhaustion or stress, is not just a physical condition, so a quick, a quick, a quick nap might not be the remedy needed. Rather, the higher powers of the soul involve the intellect and the will, so a playful break or recess from study and work may be a more effective antidote. Pope Pius II explained this in the 15th century in a letter to the, to the young King Ladislaw, Emperor of Hungary, Austria, and Bohemia. He said this, I approve of and praise your, your, your playing ball with boys your age, the Pope wrote, noting that, quote, there are other perfectly respectable boyish games 
which your teachers should sometimes allow you for the sake of relaxation. The Pope said, one should not always be intent on schooling and serious affairs, close quote. And so the Catholic tradition not only recommends recreation, but elevates it as a necessity for man, whether his labors are physical, intellectual, or spiritual, man is a body-soul composite, therefore he must care for both. More specifically, because it's primarily the soul, not the body, that initiates every human action, resting the soul is required for, for any man who takes his spiritual life seriously. In today's profit-driven world, though, productivity supersedes the value of rest. Thus, beneficial recreation contravenes the goals of liberal capitalism. If profit, if profit is the only motive, rest becomes an impediment. Although rest and leisure may be understood as impediments to productivity, they are actually ordered towards a proper understanding of work. Rest and recreation are links in the chain of utilitarian functions. German Catholic philosopher Joseph Pieper stated, quote, Rightly understood, leisure is fundamental to restoring the powers of the human soul, close quote. Ruben, are you there? I can't hear Ruben. Okay, yeah, okay, how's that? I can hear, I can hear you now. Go ahead, Ruben, okay. pick it up from, yeah. Yeah, from there. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're trying something new, um, you know, obviously uh, I'm coming on from, from my office at home. Um, but competitive sport, um, th this is a, a good article, Jess, is just because uh, there, you, there's a lot of things that you can learn from sports, you know, and um, a lot of the, the disciplines that, that you need to, to, be, uh, to be an athlete, to be a successful athlete um, can be parlayed into your spiritual life. You Absolutely. Know, that, that, that Absolutely. Same discipline, the same, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say competitiveness in, in, in your uh, spiritual walk, but for sure, uh, building habits and, and, and creating, uh, you know, patterns in your life, something that you, you keeping yourself accountable as an athlete, you know, the, the time that you're, the, the time that like when you, when you were in the ring, Jesse, that was the time that, uh, that, um, that that's that's when it paid off it, it's all the time that you spend in the gym right. be, you know between yeah. uh between your matches those that's the time when you're really uh you know um building yourself up and the, the match on match day that's just the, the 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 final uh the end the end result but uh that's right a lot of people right. don't see they don't see all the work that you know you were putting in and the same thing with your spiritual life, you know, you're, you're going through and doing uh, mortification and penance and, and um, fasting and, uh, you know, and, and doing your, your different devotions. That's uh, you're building yourself up. It's like, if it's like you're building your spiritual muscles up. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it goes on to say, not all games are played for fun though. Using more optimistic language, not all games are directed toward pleasure, recreation and rest. Competitive sports, rightly understood, have but one purpose, the cultivation of virtue. In this sense, sports are a form of education because there can be no true education which is not wholly directed to man's last end. As Pope Pius XI wrote in his 1929 encyclical, competitive sports can have, have a huge impact on Christian life. In his essay on the education of children, 16th century French philosopher Michel de Montaigne uh, connects the discipline of sport to education. 
we're not bringing up a soul. We are bringing up a body. We are bringing up a man. He continues, the games and the sports themselves will form a good part of his study. Um, as competitive sports become increasingly popular during the 20th century, the universal church took notice. The popes did not condemn them as evil, instead uniformly affirming their role in serving man. In 1905, Pope Pius X identified competitive sports as the material exercises of the body that will admirably influence the exercises of the spirit. In 1945, Pope Pius XII identified competitive sports as, as training grounds of all natural virtues, but which provide the supernatural virtues with a solid foundation. And another 40 years later, Pope John Paul II identified competitive sports as the practice of Christian virtues, a school of religious education. Today, some believe that competitive sports should be spurned because they often lead players to idolize themselves or link their self-identity with their chosen sport. Amid this rampant idolatry, sports no longer serve man, rather dehumanized man now serves sports. Uh, hey, Jess, I'll just tell you one thing. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, the, the one thing that you cannot do is put sports ahead of uh, going to mass on Sunday. That's you know, right. Uh, a, a lot of people, they say, oh, my kids are playing competitive uh, travel ball or travel soccer, travel baseball and can't get to mass. No, I mean, fortunately, in the Catholic Church, we 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 can find a mass at, at various times at various locations. We have a, a lot of options, so don't don't ever make that as as an excuse. And you, uh, I'll give you, you, you can even go on Saturday, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> the vigil mass and plan your weekend if you if you have to. And so uh, one time again, here I was uh, I was uh, probably it was ninety four. I wasn't uh, I didn't have that reversion back to my faith, Jesse, and. Uh, I was playing in a Sunday league. It was a soccer team with the sheriff's department. We were getting ready for the police Olympics. And I, I this particular Sunday, I told the players, I, I can't go. I, I, I said, I got my son's making his first communion. And, and you got to go to the semifinals, man. If we don't win, we, we don't go to the finals next week. And you're our leading scorer. So wow. I, I said, well, what, they go, what time's mass? I go, it's 11. Well, the game's at eight. You can go and go for the first half at least, you know. So they talked me into it, and so I brought my kids with me, you know, and there I was at them. I go in there, I go score a goal, and then I go score a second goal. And I told them, I told them, I'll score you three goals, and then I'm gone. So kind of cocky, I went in and scored two goals. I was going in for my third goal, Jesse, and this guy stepped on my foot, and my my foot just planted. I could, and it, and it locked in there, and it just snapped my ankle, broke and tore everything, all my ligaments. Oh. And uh, so, I mean, I'm looking up at the guy, man, if I could get up, I would kick your butt. You know, I was really <laughs> upset. And uh, they, everybody heard the ankle snap across the field. Oh, so they had to call paramedics. They had to rush me to the hospital. So fortunately, we had an extra player. So he was able to take my kids to my mom's house, who wasn't too far away. And I had to have surgery. I missed my, my son's first communion because I chose that day to play soccer. And uh, I... And, and then one of my the, one of my buddies comes to the Frank who you know you know Frank Dominguez yeah. comes to the hospital after the game and I said hey just tell me one thing tell me you guys won I left them with a two nothing lead uh, no we lost three two I saw on top of that and <laughs> they could have had the you, same result if I didn't go you gave up the ankle and your team lost yep and, I still and, have pins in my ankle man so it's, an, it's <laughs> God give me a reminder hey you know. Uh, <laughs> Make better choices. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. What a you're right. What a reminder. Yeah. Uh, let Go me, ahead, let me, yeah. 
uh, the article says here, a leadership guide for Catholic coaches. <clears throat> the Christian world needs an updated theology of sport to counter the pervasive errors of modern culture. When the only difference between a Catholic coach and a worldly one is that the Catholic says a quick our father before contest, it demonstrates the current corruption of competitive athletics. Coaches often have no idea what their purpose is. Most restrict their instruction to the temporal, teaching only the skills of their sport. Press for some higher purpose than winning games, they might say something like, my job is to make my athletes better men. Although this sounds cliche, this, this cliche sounds nice, or at least anodyne, most educators who espouse this line have no idea what they are saying. Today, making somebody better entails instilling a solid understanding of masculinity, femininity, and the courage to teach such an understanding in a culture that will persistently raise obstacles. Jesus 911, we're talking about uh, the importance of sports versus Catholics, especially Catholic men. Sports and Catholicism will be right back. Everybody benefits from sports, the body and the soul. Jesus 911, stick around, don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we're back. Two-man car. You're on segment three. Uh, just, uh, you know, I think one of the greatest coaches uh, that you could turn to and was a Catholic was uh, Vince Lombardi, the, the famous Packers coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to daily mass. He actually served mass, um, you know, when he went and, um, you know, he lived profoundly by God. And, and, and at the exact time our culture was unraveling and when uh, it was all too easy to abandon God as it is today, um, uh, how easy it was and is so, so many to follow the crowd through the white gate, Matthew, Matthew seven thirteen. Uh, and there's many fads and trends of immorality, self-gratification, and anti-authority in the, in the 60s and up to today. Lombardi is yet another reminder that the real heroes of every age are those brave souls who courageously accept the challenge of integrity by ignoring the trends of their times while remaining true to themselves, even if it means being a signum cui contra di ceto, or a sign of contradiction to the world. Uh, it's straight out of Luke uh, 2.34. Um, and that's a, that's that's a base that's coming right from my little thirty-four basic training in holiness uh, by Father, um, um, what's his name, Father from uh, Wisconsin. What's his name? You know, Richard Heilman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a good little track that he has puts out, and uh, there's a couple of things that he writes on uh, on Vince Lombardi. Hey, Ruben, but, I'll tell you. So, I'll tell you somebody else who was an amazing example as an athlete. You you mentioned a coach. I'm going to mention Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano was a heavyweight champion. He fought from 1947 to 1955. Yeah. He was undefeated. Rocky Marciano was the only undefeated heavyweight champion. He was, uh, I've read an article that said that he was uh, a daily mass attending Catholic. And his mom would always go in front of the Blessed Sacrament whenever he'd go and fight. She never watched him fight. She'd go to church and just sit there in front of the Blessed Sacrament and pray. She'd get home. He'd get home. How did you do? I won, Mom. I won. She goes, I was praying for you the whole time. 
So, uh, yeah, Rocky Marciano, he was, uh, <clears throat> he was somebody that had a huge footprint in terms of the world of sports, an undefeated heavyweight boxer, but he was also a man of faith. He loved Jesus, and he loved Our Lady. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, I was watching some fights um, on YouTube. They, they can show there's uh, some of these old fights. I saw a lot of Rocky Marciano's fights because I, I was, you know, he was before my time. Right. But uh, I, I got so much more respect for him by by watching it. And and they had this, uh, they had the young Cassius Clay and uh, Marciano had already retired. But there was a lot of talk who would have won, you know, if they had fought each other. So they had this computer-based thing, and they went actually got into the ring with electrodes on their head, and they were so there was actually, you know how they they do like those virtual things yeah. they yeah. do now. So uh, it was getting a little heated. In fact, uh, you know Ali uh, Cassius, the young Cassius Clay, he 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 was supposed to be going easy, and he and he hit uh, Marciano pretty hard, and and it kind of got a little testy in there because nobody wants to. Nobody wants to get uh, stood, you know. Um, yeah, uh, right. Showed up like that. So anyway, then they, they put it out in the theaters, and a lot of people thought it was it was the real deal, and they had different endings to it. It's, it's pretty interesting if you if you if you care about uh, Marciano, wow. check, check that out. In yep. fact, um, yeah. Then he he um, he died in a plane crash tragically. Oh, I didn't after know that. that. Wow. Yeah, he, he was still a young man, you know. So. Yep, I know he was. Uh, yeah, he was uh, born in Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah, they've uh, they got some really good fighters that have come out of the East Coast. Uh, Rocky Marciano, uh, Lord have mercy on his soul. Yes, Ruben. Going back, um, I just want to talk a little bit about why the Catholic Church became um, got behind sports very early on. I'll tell you why because we were dealing with the heresy of Gnosticism. In the church, yeah. even back in the New Testament, and you know, and the Gnostics were were basically saying, um, <clears throat> "Spirit good, body bad," and so it was a response to the Gnostics. In fact, the first person that responded to them was Saint Clement of Alexandria back in the third century. He wrote a book called The Instructor, and in that he talks about sports and physical education as worthy pursuits. He says this. St. Clement of Alexandria says, quote, keeping healthy and becoming holy is the goal of every Catholic man. And again, so St. Clement of Alexandria, with his book, The Instructor, he was confronting the Gnostic heresy, which had a hatred for the human body. Uh, but again, we respect our bodies because you go back all the way to the New Testament. It says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Uh, St. Paul also says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and that temple you are. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. And St. Paul also says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. So when St. Paul is speaking of, he's talking about physical activity because the phrase whatever you do it also, it could be understood as the care of the body through sports. Because remember, St. Paul often speaks of sports explicitly. He speaks of races. Uh, the right. Christian life is like a race. He speaks of the Christian life is like a fight. 
He says the Christian life is like boxing. He says the Christian life, he compares it uh, to weapons and armor. So his worldview, St. Paul's worldview, clearly incorporates the human body. Yeah. Ruben, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're definitely, you're right, uh, Jesse. There's a lot of uh, examples of that in, in Scripture about running the race, you know, like Second Timothy four seven, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith, and that's that's what we're doing. We gotta we gotta run to the end, and uh, it's not how you start; it's how you finish, right, Jess? There you go. That's what I yeah. tell guys all the time. Right. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of guys go out too quick, you know, and they they uh, they burn you know, out. Say they they burn out. They're running a, a, like a marathon, and they they their pace is too high, too fast. And it's true in your spiritual life. You you know you you can't uh, even even you know in some of the meditations that I'm reading on uh, Saint Alphonsus uh, Liguori, you know you can't expect to always be in that high and that you know so emotionally yeah, you know right. You're gonna have lulls. You're gonna have lulls in you and you're where you're not gonna feel you're not gonna feel close to God um, like at other times. So just. Don't get don't get worried about that, but just continue running the race. Continue in your your meditations. Continue in your your practices and and your you know disciplines. And and uh, and in the end, you're going to be there. You know, and especially if, you know, as like you said, this month is the month of the Rosary, and uh, we know Our Lady has a lot of promises for us for those of us who who are uh, de- devoted to her Rosary, and and so we got to do that all the way up until the to the end. Um, and wearing our scapulars as well. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, Ruben, in the Catholic worldview, sports is not an end in itself, but sports is a means to an end. In other words, we're trying to form, build our character. We're trying to build our virtue. And so uh, e- even the Catholic Church, when you look at some of our martyrs, a lot of our martyrs have been soldiers. Uh, again, because... Their body and character, it was formed by the training, uh, you know, inherent to their profession of arms, which prepared them to to fight and sacrifice themselves in the loyal service of Jesus Christ and His Church. What would be the use of physical strength if if the if the if the follower of Christ of the Christian only uses physical strength for earthly ends, and that's just a waste of time. Yeah, as Catholic Christians. I think it was St. Ignatius of Loyola. He called Catholic Christians, he said, called us athletes for Christ. Athletes for Christ. Yeah. And uh, again, the, the sports or the use of sports and even the language of sports in the New Testament, it's supposed to prepare us for the work of evangelization. It's supposed to prepare us for the work of winning souls, becoming holy ourselves. It's supposed to prepare us to be in service of Christ our King. And also sports is supposed to prepare us to help us restrain our own bodies and subject our own bodies uh, you know, to, to a life of penance and mortification and even self-denial. Uh, and, and again, the eternal life is going to be the ultimate prize of this struggle. Everything that we do uh, is going to be rewarded, and by the same token, uh, every uh, 
Everything that comes out of our mouth, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, every word that comes out of our mouth will also be judged uh, at, the, at the particular judgment. That's right. That's right. So uh, <clears throat> just, you know, uh, put your body to the test, you know, and, and just uh, because it, it's going to help you in your spiritual life, build, build you up. And, yeah. and uh, things when you don't want to go to the gym or you don't want to go train. Uh, you go anyway, and you're gonna you're gonna get more out of it because you're you push yourself. It's it's a win for you, and the same thing with your prayer life. There are times when you don't feel like praying, you know, uh, but that that's when you should be praying. And you know, many of us we just we walk away from it, and it's not and and you got to stick with it. You got to get in there, and uh, you know, I I, I give you an, a, an example. I was um. Every Monday, I would go to adoration on my way to headquarters when I was working. And uh, there was a church there in Whittier that uh, St. Gregory the Great would have a 24-hour adoration. And, uh, yeah, there was some times I wanted just to, to get back to, and so I can get, get on the road so I won't catch traffic. But I stop in there. And, uh, you know, you, you can't leave Jesus alone. And I get in there. And, and the one lady that was in there, she leaves. And so... <laughs> I'll buy myself and then I go, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm uh, dependent on someone coming in before I can leave. And, and it was like two hours, Jesse, uh, two hours. I, I was in there just me and Jesus. And I wow. said, thank you, Jesus, wow. you know, because uh, here I was wanting to get out early just to, you know, just make a quick visit and then go. But, uh, you know, Jesus wanted me there longer. Amen. Just- hey, we're going to a hard break up next. Where does the word homily Where's that in the Bible? The word homily. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. Jesus 911, we are back. Two man car, 10 8 for Jesus. That's right. That's right. Ruben, a lot of times Protestants will ask us, you know, when they hear certain Catholic terms, they'll say, you know, they'll email me, they'll say, so where's that in the Bible? You guys are just making this stuff up. So, uh, you know, recently I got an email from one Protestant. He says, what does the word homily mean? Is it in the Bible? And what makes a good homily? So, uh, most people figured, I know, I guess... Maybe the church just made that word up. No, not not at all. The word homily, it's a Greek word which means, quote, to have communion, close quote, or, quote, to hold intercourse with a person, close quote. I could show you three places in the New Testament where the Greek word is actually used in sacred scripture. The first one is in Luke chapter 24, verse 14. The Bible says, And talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Those first two words where it says, and talking, that's the Greek word homolaun, homolaun. In Acts chapter 20, verse 11, the Bible says, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed, the word converse is homolesas, homolesas, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And the third place the word homily is used in the New Testament is in Acts 24, 26. It says, At the same time, 
he hoped that money would be given would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. The word conversed with him is homilei, homilei, which is, again, a cognate of that Greek word. Now, Reuben, here's my opinion, and I'll, I'll let you just, you know, jump in and see, get your opinion. But in my opinion, one of the greatest homilists in my lifetime was Venerable Fulton Sheen, Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And I'll tell you, here are some of the things that were his trademark. I put 12 things that I believe are his trademark. If you want to just go back and forth, uh, go ahead, go ahead and with me, Ruben. go ahead and do the first one. Oh, actually, I, I don't have that just yet. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Let, so let me just do it. So here are the 12 reasons that I believe Archbishop Sheen is one of the greatest homilists in the 20th century. Number one, good philosophy good, breeds good theology. He was a PhD in Thomistic philosophy that's why his theology was orthodox and brilliant. Number two, Archbishop Sheen leaned on Scripture and believed in the Word of God. He was not infected with modernistic thought or modernistic exegesis. Number three, Archbishop Sheen was passionate. He believed what he said, and he said what he believed. Number four, Archbishop Sheen had knowledge of his topic, and his lectures were infused with faith and reason. Number five, Archbishop Sheen was winsome, and by that I mean he was engaging and charming. Number six, Archbishop Sheen was truthful. In other words, don't apologize for the difficult teachings of the church. Give your parishioners moral clarity on abortion, homosexual marriage, contraception, intoxication, divorce, and remarriage. Number seven, Archbishop Sheen empowered people with answers to disarm the empty promises and false arguments of the culture of death. Number eight, you won't see Archbishop Sheen. He never he never engaged in happy talk, okay? And uh, neither should we. We got to stop the mealy-mouthed, politically correct, kumbaya, banners, balloons, and butterflies, Woodstock Catholicism. Remember, we are in a cultural and a spiritual war. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. Number nine, theology is the queen of the sciences, when we share our faith, quit preaching psychology and psychiatry during homilies. Give us theology. Give us divine revelation. Number 10. Yep. Be inspirational. Breathe God's word and life into the soul of your parishioners. And that's what Sheen did very well. Number 11. Preach on death, judgment, heaven, and hell during Lent. That'll, that'll wake everybody up in the audience. And number 12. Call people to holiness, not to mediocrity. Awesome. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that, Jesse. Uh, yeah, our priests today, the, uh, some of them are, are good priests. They're just afraid of, of, you know, saying the wrong thing and getting under their bishop's, uh, you know, thumb. And, and so it's unfortunate. Uh, but they have to, you know, be bold. I think uh, the Catholics want to be challenged. They want, they want more out of their, out of their homilies. And I mean, the homily is, is, where they're gonna they're gonna relate, uh, you know, their talk to, a little bit to to what the, the readings were about, as opposed to a sermon like you know in a Protestant church where a sermon it, it's it's more where they they, they seek Bible you know, study. Uh, it's like a but yeah, it's a glorified Bible study. Yeah, glorified. Um, and you know so, but the, but the hom the homily, I, 
what upsets me in, in most churches, you know, not not so much in the Latin Mass, but in the modern church, they're like on a schedule. Like I think even Pope Francis said it should be eight eight minutes or eight to twelve minutes or something like that. Mm. You know, it was just mm. some ridiculous. If you're on, if you're going strong and you've got a lot of uh, information to, to to pass on to your parishioners, then just keep it going. But they're it's like they're worried about oh we're gonna we're gonna come out too late and the you know the donut sales are gonna be uh, gonna go down because we're not mm. uh, we're not getting the people out in time or the next mass is gonna start. I, I mean just I, I get that, but um, you know if you've got a good message, you, you don't you can't just put a time limit on eight minutes. You know it's I think uh, we have to we have to demand more out of, out of our priests first of all and uh, and 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 also to to go up to them and congratulate them and and show gratitude when they give a good sermon, good, good homily, yeah. you know. Yep, I agree. Unfortunately, yeah, we, we don't do that enough. And uh, you know, the priest that sometimes doesn't know, doesn't get the feel for what's going on in, in his parish unless you tell them, you know. And maybe there's something you want to hear, you want them to preach about. Let's let's do that too. You know, you can say, hey, Father, what about this topic? You know, um, and, and uh, see if he can't work it in. But I agree. I think uh, those subjects, those tough subjects, have to be have to be spoken about. You know, the the last four things, of course, and and just just holiness, getting to heaven. What's it going to take to get to heaven? And uh, and don't don't worry about you know being too rough on them. I I, I just we're we're just a kind of a wimpy church now, and and mm. and it shows it, and it starts from the top. Our, our leaders are wimpy, and and now. Uh, well, a lot of us have gotten so laxed and 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 just take do the minimum. Uh, we should be yeah. minimalist. We should be striving Maximalist. for it. Right, exactly. Yeah, Ruben, there's a Bible verse that tells a, a priest uh, how they should be able to how, how they should give a homily. It's in Malachi chapter two, verse seven. Here's what it says: "Quote, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth." For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, close quote. Uh, I, when I go to Mass, I'm, I expect to hear the truth. As Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And uh, as the Bible says in Acts 20, 27, uh, St. Paul says, uh, to, we're called to speak the full counsel of God. That's what all of us as parishioners expect to hear, the full counsel of God. A priest should so should should so thoroughly know the content of what's he going to preach that he needs little more than bullet points uh standing there and reading your homily that you just printed out before mass from i don't know woodstockhomilies.com that doesn't cut it that doesn't satisfy or that doesn't feed the flock right and here's here's also what i expect from from our priest homilist i do not expect to hear modernist speculative theology Marxist liberation theology or demythologizing the miracles in the Bible. I don't expect right. to hear opinions or psychobabble. I will tell you several people that are that are outstanding modern preachers in my lifetime. Outstanding. Father John Carapi. Uh, disregard his scandal. Just look at his preaching. It was done with confidence in the word of God and he was strong on doctrine. Father Bill Casey. Father Donald Calloway. Father James Altman. Father John Lankett here from Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, there's many others. A lot of them from the FSSP uh, on on uh, on the internet. Very strong, Father Heilman, 
these are some examples of some priests that consistently uh, serve up good homilies when they get behind a microphone, Ruben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, Jess. Uh, uh, I think um, when they, they need to, uh, they just got to be bold. They think they got to be bold, but they have to, uh, I think they got to use, do more catechesis because, you know, let's just face it. Um, we have a low information uh, uh, Catholic church right now. And most of most people after confirmation, they stop studying their faith. So that's a perfect time to give them some catechesis on, you know, the blessed sacrament on, on the value of confession and, and getting some of these questions out there. A lot of people, you know, the lines are long for communion and the lines that lines for, are short for confession. So something's not something's not right something doesn't jive this so it there should be some some teaching on that there should be teaching on 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 marriage on, on just the various sacraments and how important is baptism you know get your children baptized in uh and that's a perfect time for it jesse because you could always tie that into the into the uh the, the mass readings you know right ruben you know every every catholic they have built into their soul it's actually called the census fidei you can tell when you're hearing the truth because you, you have this special grace through the sacraments when you live in a state of grace. It's called the sense of the faith. You know when you're hearing the truth. But every lay Catholic, we also have a BS meter, if you know what I'm saying. And we can, all, we can all also tell when, yes. we're he- when we're hearing opinions and falsehoods and things that are not Catholic like Father James Martin and many others. Uh, yeah, we have a built-in BS meter. And I thank God for that because... Uh, God has given us the ability to discern when we're actually getting rivers of living water, that's the truth, or when we're getting shards of glass, that, that that's a, a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, what they're saying about this priest that, that I was mentioning about at the beginning of the show with the, with the sheriff, you know, it's not his, it's not his place to be telling people how to vote. You know, if, if it's a pro-life issue, something like that, you know, where it's it's contrary to the faith, uh, we can't vote for, a, you know, a, a abortion uh, believing politician. Though that's one thing, but uh, you know, this is something that has nothing to do with the faith. It's you you gotta yeah you gotta. Uh, Ruben, I hear off. the music. Hard break. We're done. E O W end of watch. Two man car. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics, coming to you from the from the Midwest Command Center. Hey, Catholics, live in a state of grace. Be holy or die trying. Pray a rosary every day. Go to Mass as often as possible. Wear your scapular. And we'll see you next time here on Jesus 911. EOW, end of watch. We're out. <laughs>